0: One got it yay got it it's proper everything <laughs> this time i think we're good to go
1: okay right on yeah last time we had a little bit of a hiccup we had to start again oh boy did we i don't remember i'm j- now i'm just thinking of that song the the white wedding song it's a it's, it's, it's nice a, day it's for uh a... to start again <laughs> 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 I don't know if that's how it goes, but...
2: It's in there. Yeah, it's no, no, you that's, did that's, good. that's in the song. You you know? Yeah, good. that, that yeah. part's
0: in the song, totally.
2: <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. I'm not just making shit yeah. up again. <laughs>
1: well, welcome to the show, everybody. This is Turn 1 Sol Ring. I'm Kevin. Hey, I'm Eric. And we have our lovely editor, Ainsley, and guest host, Ainsley, joining us. Both Ainsleys are here today.
2: I am every Ainsley I could possibly be.
1: And today we're going to be continuing our series explaining the events depicted in the Magic the Gathering novel, Time Streams. Last week we covered the temporal disaster that destroyed the original Telerian Academy, as well as the decades of rebuilding that followed. We also covered Urza's first attempt to destroy the pocket Phyrexia that had been created on Teleria as a result of that same disaster.
2: I always picture like, I don't know, like Polly Pocket, right? So like, like a little <laughs> tiny crick. You know, like that just sort of bends in half and lives in his little pocket world and
1: Yeah. That's <laughs> no, that's a very good way to think of it. It's just a tiny little pocket phyrexia and a tiny little creek And then when crick. it opens it makes that noise. Oh yeah. Crick or creek Uh-huh. Crick. What was the boy one?
0: Mini Max or something?
1: Mighty Max. Mighty yeah, Max. and his bird his bird his the anthropomorphized bird was uh Virgil, and then he had that big guy with the beard. And the, the, the brown hair and the ponytail. I can't remember his name. But they even there was a show. There was a Mighty Max show. I remember, I remember. watching the show.
0: Yeah. I barely remember was, anything
1: about it. I just know there was a show. My brothers had a lot of Mighty Max. Yeah. A lot of Virgils.
2: It's so funny. It's like... I don't know. I guess the whole, like, you know, genderizing toys. Like, I get it. But, you know.
0: That's a thing of the past. Let, but it was let the thing little
2: boys then. play with a Polly Pocket. Let little girls play with a Pocket Phyrexio. Whatever.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, I played. I'll, I agree. I, I, I'll tell you. I played with a lot of Barbies. Most of my, like my peers before kindergarten, other than my brothers, all girls. Nice. So I played with a lot of Barbies. I took their clothes off I was going to say, was... did you make
2: them kiss and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah.
1: And have like naked pillow fights. And yeah.
2: I remember one time I left two Barbies, like a, a Ken and a Barbie, on top of each other, like in the bed, like, because oh. clearly, like, we had left off at the sex scene. Of that's, course. That's what had yeah, happened. Yeah,
1: we're going to pick back up here.
2: Yeah, when I come <laughs> Stay back. Stay next episode. Probably after dinner. It's like, oh, it's time for dinner. Okay, we got to stop now and I'll come back. <laughs> but then I <laughs> left them there like that. And, you know, like my mom had been in my room and stuff. And I remember oh. rediscovering them and going, oh, my God. She must know. She knows. She knows. Do
1: you think she knows about Barbie and Ken? <laughs> <laughs> so we wrapped up the last episode with Teferi being freed from the slow time bubble that he had been trapped in. And we'll begin today, seven years after that event took place. Seven years after that, Teferi had been released from his temporal prison. He was now 21, and Joyra and him seemed to be the same age. Teferi had aged naturally while Joyra had stayed young by drinking slow time water. In that seven years, Teferi wanted to drink fast time water to accelerate his aging, but Urza and Barron forbade it. In fact, any student under the age of 30 was not allowed to drink slow time water.
2: Hmm. Man, they really oh. just
1: start police and shit. Hey? Yeah, you know, right? I think they just don't want anybody to stay too young, maybe. Forever young. So, I'd probably cap it off at like 18, but, you know, because people, li- people probably aren't living... You know, I, I always think of this as more like feudal times, so the the average lifespan is probably closer to 50, as opposed to the like 75, 80 that, that we enjoy today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think 30 is kind of pushing it.
2: Well, I don't know if I would do, yeah, 30, maybe too much, because like, you're kind of like, quote unquote, past your prime. Like, you're not as... Virile. You're mm-hmm. not as energetic. You're not as all these things. Um, but 21, like your brain isn't even fully developed yet. So I get. I would say like yeah, fair enough. I would say like maybe like 23, 25 ish is where I would.
1: Yeah, I think 25 is a good. I think that's that's about when the brain is is all done. Mm-hmm. Good sweet soft spot. 25. Exactly. Exactly. So, every student and scholar above the age of 30 had drunk some amount of the slow time water in the past 25 plus years since they had returned to the island. Except Urza, of course, because... Except Papa Urza. He's he's eternal. They still didn't know exactly how the slow time water worked, just that it did work. So, Teferi also helped to improve on the original design of the machine that Jorah built to travel through the various time rifts on the island, once that happened, the academy began to use the fast time bubbles to their advantage. Urza would, you know, to grow things for, right. for starters. Urza would send crews into them to build more munitions to destroy Crick's pocket Phyrexia in much less time than it would take them to build in regular time. Oh, that's clever. The only problem with this was that Urza's weapons of war could be built much faster than he was capable of acquiring power stones. Yeah. And they needed those power stones because dead bodies of Phyrexians began to show up much more often, and it wouldn't be long before they would be able to travel through the time rift unscathed. Oh, dead bodies! Isn't like they're trying, but yeah, they're 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 making it through, but shortly thereafter they they Die. drop dead. Yeah, it's it's too much. It's too much for it's too them. much. Forget about it. So it's at this point in the story that Urza decided that he had amassed enough of an arsenal to stage another attack on Crick and his Phyrexia. Urza planned to use uh, 750 artifact creatures he called Falcon Engines to make the attack. And these were just kind of like um, like baseball glove sized artifact creatures that you know, were sort of triangular shaped. And they could fly, and they, you know, were just kind of covered in sharp edges. <clears throat> like feathers. Like feathers, yeah. Like
2: like, sharp. Uh, like razor the mighty sharp. falcon.
1: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> in addition to the two ornithopters he had designed and built for himself, the falcons would be able to penetrate the Phyrexian time bubble unscathed and begin to slaughter any Phyrexian that they found, and they... Urza designed them to do this uh, based on uh, smelling or sensing glistening oil. So they would just, the, these falcon engines would sense it or smell it, and they would just hone in on the closest uh, scent. Cool. He also had a few incendiary devices that he could drop from his ornithopter if the need arose. So the day of the attack arrived, and as soon as the falcons began to descend toward the Phyrexian time bubble, the Phyrexians began to let ballast bolts fly out at the falcons and Urza's ornithopter. Pew, pew. Most Pew! <laughs> most of them were aimed at Urza's ornithopter, and when one of the bolts struck the starboard wing of the ornithopter, the ship began to fall towards the surface of the Phyrexian time bubble. Crick was watching this happen, and he had time to wonder if Urza would be able to planeswalk before he struck the surface. But Urza wasn't fast enough.
2: Oh, no. Oh,
1: boy. What's an ornithopter? It's, um... It's like a plane thing? It's, it, it, it's sort of like a gyrocopter. It's, it's like a single um, uh, seat... Well, you, you can have multiple seat ones, but I think these ones that Urza built are single seat ones. But it's just a... It's a Thran flying machine... With, um, so it's specific to Magic: The Gathering. It's not like yeah, it's a good, it's a good uh, zero drop. Here's the first, uh... the
0: first incarnation is pretty good. It's just like a pair of wings.
1: <laughs> it's just... like a little
2: bat <laughs> without a body.
1: Anyways, it. it's just a flying machine um, that is. Hmm. It's sort of. Uh, it's it's really skeletal. In okay. its design, and uh, it's it's actually one of the first Athran artifacts that Urza and Mishra discovered when they were archaeologists, <laughs> or archaeologists in the, when they were under Tokasia's tutelage.
2: They were little archaeologists.
1: They were little archaeologists.
2: I'm gonna dig up these bones and dust them off.
1: And they found an ornithopter, and it was they had to, they had to make a few adjustments, and then it could fly. And um, Urza just continued to improve on the design and he made a bunch of them during the brothers war thousands of years ago and um he made a couple more now just to pile it around and hopefully drop a few bombs on 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 crick's phyrexia but unfortunately he got uh, tagged with some well one ballast bolt oh no yeah
2: but he was like flapping around on his little wings and he's like "Where to your mom's i came to drop bombs (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, he, on, but wh- I don't exactly. know why he didn't stay a, yeah, a thousand feet in the air this time. That was a mistake. Uh Like I said, Urza wasn't fast enough to planeswalk and his uh, he and his damaged Ornithopter were dragged through the surface of the time bubble. He was falling toward the south wall of Crick's palace, which is exactly where Crick ordered his minions to go and wait the planeswalker baron and karn watched all this happen from the giant's pate which was a tall rock formation that overlooked the the gorge that the Frexian time bubble sat in baron's first action was to run toward the second ornithopter urza had built because remember i said he built two, there were two. Mm, this one this one's ready to go it's it's totally uh it's prepped and ready and um karn had something faster in mind karn's just gonna, just gonna just... jump in there <laughs> He—it's literally what he, literally what he does. Just as uh, Urza's artifact falcons began to converge on the time bubble, Karn jumped off the edge of the giant's pate and fell toward the time bubble and through the surface into Phyrexia. Just <laughs> like, yeah, just like dives in, and he falls it. fast. Like he's heavy. He's a—he's a heavy boy. He's a big. Oh, yeah. He's a big he's silver a thick golem boy. Mm-hmm. Thick boy. Mm-hmm. As Riley would
2: say, hi That's Riley.
1: As a res- uh, like Remember that minutes on the outside are hours in Crick's Phyrexia? So by the time Karn arrived, Urza had already been there for several hours. And the Falcon engines had still not uh, penetrated the surface of the uh, time bubble.
2: Hmm.
1: So on the outside, everything is happening very fast. But on the inside, you know, it's hours. Yeah. As a result of Urza traveling through the surface of the time bubble... Uh, he uh, he sort of dematerialized. He couldn't maintain his corporeal form, unlike Karn or the Falcon engines, things that were inorganic. Um, Urza was, of course, able to repurpose himself and cast a flying enchantment, so he would be able to land safely on the ground. But just as he was floating toward the ground, he was struck with another bolt that tore out his liver, a lung, and part of his ribcage. So oh. pretty, pretty grisly. That was a good shot. Yeah. you need your liver like that's vital literally yeah it is he was of course able to regrow those organs and bones but it took effort and time and each time he was able to regrow his parts he was again struck by another bolt which tore out more of his uh, bones and and flesh and viscera until he finally fell from the air into a shallow pool of filthy fetid water
2: yeah that's where you want to land when you have wounds
1: you just like poop water yeah, oh. yeah. It's gonna, it's gonna. There's gonna be an infection. <laughs>
2: oh
1: no! And this was when Crick's minions converged on Urza. They began to bite chunks of meat and bone from him, but lightning still roared from Urza's fingertips, killing swaths of Phyrexians. Oh, it's but whenever he fought free of them and began to rise into the air, he was struck by another bolt and fell to be attacked again.
0: Man, Urza Sounds really off. is. Yeah, Urza really is just like an unbeatable force, though. Yeah, yeah, he is. I can just keep regenerating myself.
2: He's like, I get knocked down, but I get up again.
1: You're never going to keep me down.
2: That's right, baby.
1: <laughs> Pissing the night away. <laughs> <laughs> so, even though the, the swaths of uh, Crick's minions that were the, the just biting chunks out of Urza could have uh, killed him, conceivably, I guess. I'm not exactly sure what would kill Urza, but anyways, Crick or had ordered them not to kill Urza. Only to weaken him so that he could be carried to their arena to be flayed alive by Crick himself.
2: Oh boy.
1: The arena was mostly used to glorify Crick as many of the gladiatorial matches featured him. However, it was not a gladiatorial battle that was scheduled on this particular day. Urza was the guest of honor and Crick planned to show his subjects that even a planeswalker could not stand against the might of Phyrexia. They had strung Urza up on a thick cylinder of, of obsidian. To stop Urza from mustering enough strength to focus to use his powers, Crick had tasked several gibbering horrors to slice at Urza's entrails every time he was able to heal his wounds. Yikes. Just just uh, just like eviscerating him every yeah. time. He's able to just to, to get it together. So
2: is Crick a big weenie? He's like, I'm gonna fight the planeswalker, but first I'm gonna make him as weak as possible before I do it. Well, you no, know, Crick's, not not
1: Crick's not gonna fight him. He's just gonna he's just gonna like cut, he's gonna flay him. Yeah, cut oh. the skin from his body. And if that doesn't kill him, I'm not sure what his plan was after that, but it's just just, you know, like torturing him and stuff. If he was smart, he would have just killed, killed him but he's he's just like a stereotypical bad guy he doesn't yeah. just like do it
2: yeah you gotta play you with know? your food it's like
1: an Austin Powers going back to the first episode in the series um, you know it's just like I have a gun in my room Let's, I'll go get it and we'll just shoot him
2: yeah right
1: yeah but, <laughs>
2: but no you gotta do the sharks with the laser beams attached to their head seal oh, bass. oh totally right yeah
1: they're yeah. sea bass
2: sea bass yeah <laughs>
1: <so>. they're ill-tempered <laughs> So, while Urza was repeatedly eviscerated, Crick paced in between him and the Phyrexians that filled the arena, giving a victory speech.
2: Children of Phyrexia, scions of the greater god Yagmoth and his son Crick, newts and negators and spawn of time, behold the man who brought us here. Behold the man who opened for us the gateway to his new paradise, to Dominaria. He has a long, honourable history of aiding our coming domination. In the caves of Koilos, he and his brother Mishra sundered the power stone that had locked us away from Dominaria, thus opening the way for us. During Urza's subsequent war against his brother Mishra, followers of our patriarch Gix were welcomed into both armories, and Gix even made a Phyrexian out of Mishra. When Urza learned of his brother's conversion, he was so delighted He loosed a catastrophe across Dominaria to slay its greatest armies, sink its mightiest nations, and soften the way for us to invade. He forsook his world, his trusted associate Thanos, and even his own son Harbin, all of which we have inherited. Allying himself with our comrade, the Newt Zantia, Urza traveled to Phyrexia under the pretense of war. In truth, he was drawn to us like a gnat to a great lantern. He desired to join us to become one of us. To show his good faith, he led an army to the realm of Sarah, where he initiated a war of conquest that brings the angel realm to its knees even now. He betrayed the woman who healed him and gave us her plane as a trophy. Now, our eternal champion, our spy in Dominaria, and throughout all the plains, has come to us. He has come to pay homage to Yagmoth and the son of Yagmoth, Crick. He has come to grant us the world he has given us his brother, his associate, his son, his best friend, and now he gives us himself. Once he is dead, no one on Dominaria can stand against us. Ooh, that's a
1: good speech. It's
0: a, it's a pretty good speech, and I'm very positive that Urza, if he's able to like really listen to it, is not happy.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. And the Harvin, thats a deep cut because that might not even be Urza's son. Yeah, we don't yeah. know about that. It might be, it might be Mishra's boy oh boy (laughs) (laughs) so cheers began to fill the arena and into that roaring ovation came a high pitched whistle (laughs) the the whistle was (laughs) ear splitting (laughs) unlike the whistle we just uh, made for you the phyrexians that had ears began to clutch them in pain those with knees crumpled to them and began to writhe on the ground the people without ears
2: or knees were fine.
1: Yeah. I always like to think of people like writhing on the ground. I don't know why that just... Uh, it does it for you? Eh, it's just entertaining. All right. <laughs> um, including uh, including the beasts that were tasked with keeping Urza from using his powers. So let's see. he's going to have some time to... do, You know? <laughs> Only two creatures in the arena remained upright. Crick and his prisoner. It was the sound of Urza's falcons that emitted the sound they were hearing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. no, no,
2: it's the whistle. My bad, my bad.
1: At that moment, they began to descend on the arena and impale many of the Phyrexians that were still rolling around on the ground, writhing. That writhing is funny to
2: think about them thinking like rolling around. <laughs>
1: um, it, it, when I was reading the novel, at this part, I thought, "Is the whistling sound reminded me of Planeswalker when they made those uh, spiders yeah. that, ki- that, that vibrated the glistening oil. Yeah, and that's probably the same they, thing in
0: here.
1: They just blew up? Well, that's what I thought, but it's not. Oh. And I thought, like, why didn't Urza just make more of those spiders and drop them into Crick's Phyrexia and just like blow up all the glistening oil? That's what I would have done. Oh yeah, why not? I don't know.
2: Well, he likes to try something. Sometimes you just want to try something new. Sometimes
1: you just want to try something new. Yeah. It's, it's been a, it's it's been a few decades, so I get it. <laughs> Anyways, the falcons were designed to cleave through flesh, bone, and metal, which is uh, appropriate for Phyrexians. When one tore through the body of a Phyrexian, it would hone in on another and tear through that one. Whenever a falcon was lodged in a particular, a particularly resistant ball of muscle or, or bone or metal, its wings would begin to spin outward in order to dislodge itself. Cool. Mhm. Fancy. The Falcons had killed almost 300 Phyrexians in the arena in the in their initial attack in just a few so, seconds. Wow. In just in just a few seconds. So there were still about 700 Phyrexians left. Uh, The remaining Phyrexians began to defend themselves from the Falcons, and once that happened, the fight between Artifact and Phyrexian began to balance. In the midst of battle, Urza had recovered from the torture that had been inflicted on him, and then made quick work of the ropes that bound him, as well as the Phyrexian horrors that had been torturing him. Urza began to search for Kriik, but he had already left the arena to safeguard his breeding labs instead began to use what power he had left to fight the Phyrexians that remained in the arena. Um, oh, and I don't think I've mentioned this, but if anyone's listening to this and wondering, why doesn't Urza just planeswalk out of this time bubble? And he just can't. Like, planeswalking doesn't work uh, with the time bubbles. Like, Urza could planeswalk to a different part of this time bubble, a different location, but he cannot planeswalk out of it, nor can he planeswalk into it it's just uh it's just one of those things it's just one of those days oh my god I and was i guess going like crick knew
0: that, that because he was watching if he was going to planeswalk before he hit the sphere
1: right well i mean at that point urza could have planeswalked so, yeah you're right yeah yeah crick's like you know what urza i see what you're doing and i'm crick so you're not doing it, and crick <laughs> Yeah, it's too. It's too bad Trev didn't d- doesn't just make his Crick deck like a like a Doomsday combo deck because he'd uh, he'd uh, he'd have a higher win rate with it. Ooh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Ooh, low blow. No, no, no. It's know. no.
1: It's good. It's uh. It's it's good that Trev doesn't doesn't like to to play combo because that way Eric and I are the only combo players, and Riley a little bit.
2: <laughs> Riley, Riley gets it on a yeah, bit. Yeah, he gets it on. With his janky decks.
1: That jank. Yeah. Oh. No, he's got that jank. He works it, though. He works it hard. (laughs) Yeah, he he kicks it. Uh, As Urza and his falcons fought, they were slowly whittled down until only a few remained. The tide had turned, and just as Urza was about to use the last of his power to destroy several negators, Karn walked through one of the entrances of the arena's fighting pit, slowly advancing on Urza's position. Because remember, Karn jumped into the time rift, everybody. Don't forget about that. And I just love imagining this scene. There's Mm -hmm. nothing but blackness, and the atmosphere is so dirty that the surface of the time bubble seems opaque. The Phyrexians are filthy, and so is Urza. Even the Falcon engines that are are still um, fighting are covered in glistening oil from impaling themselves on Phyrexians. And... In all that blackness, Karn appears, this shining silver man that was created to stop Phyrexia from ever existing. Um, Not that that's a reality anymore, but he's a beacon of hope for Urza at that moment, but also for the continued fight against Yagmoth, because Karn represents a fundamental difference between Urza and Yagmoth, And like both men see the value and power in Artifice, but Yawgmoth wants to create a multiverse that is populated with living artifacts, creatures that aren't susceptible to the weaknesses of flesh. And unfortunately, to achieve that goal, Yogmoth has to destroy the way of life of most planes, probably every plane. Urza, on the other hand, has created the first truly living artifact in Karn, uh, and not without a little help from Yogmoth in the form of Zancha's Hearthstone, But Karn isn't the least bit susceptible to the weakness of flesh and to the weaknesses of flesh and blood creatures. Um, So he really is a bridge between the two worlds, um, Phyrexia and the rest of the multiverse.
0: Yeah, just for how he's kind of like created.
1: You know, and, and, you know, the idea of coexisting doesn't really work because with all of Yawgmoth's insane theology that he's brainwashed his followers with for the past several thousand years. It's really not likely that Phyrexia will ever be able to coexist with the greater multiverse, but Karn is an example of how living artifacts and, you know, quote-unquote living things could coexist. And it's also kind of, you know, on a larger scale, like we, you know, in, in our everyday lives, we haven't, we don't have this experience yet, but how... You know, robots are, or at least a sentient robot, is just as alive as the rest of us.
2: hmm
1: Yeah. Even though they're, you know, even using the terms artificially created, um, I don't, I, I think kind of s- sells them short. Um, but, anyways. Because
0: um, I guess they're still, even like with their development of like learning, is still like creation, so.
1: Yeah, yeah. So anyways, as Karn slowly advanced toward Urza, he tore apart every Phyrexian that crossed his path. Literally, limb from limb, he's just pulling, <laughs> you know, stingers and legs and arms. He's just, nothing is stopping this uh, this silver golem. Badass. He's so cool. <laughs> Other Phyrexians saw this and began to swarm the silver man, but Karn carved a path right through them. As he got closer to Urza, smoke bombs began to strike the ground surrounding them. Urza was able to see an ornithopter through the cloudy Phyrexian atmosphere floating far overhead. Baron was in the pilot seat, and once he had released the full payload of bombs, he released a metal cord from the bottom of his craft that slowly fell through the surface of the time rift and hung near Urza and Karn. Oh, all the way down into the arena. Damn. And they're they're very specific about it being metal. I I don't know if a... um, uh, Oh, yeah. I don't know what rope is made of, but... A non-metal rope might not survive the stresses of, of the time rift. So.
2: So, like, would all their clothes melt off?
1: Um. Well, Karns not wearing any clothes, and nor do Phyrexians, um, and just, Urza. He just wills his clothes to be there. Right. So. Maybe they yeah. might. Yeah. And
2: Baron hasn't come through. He's floating above. He's floating. Oh, Baron's not coming
1: through. He's no, not coming. No, he's smarter than that. Yeah, Baron's He's like,
2: like, I don't want my clothes to disappear. I'm staying up here.
1: I think Baron might be the smartest character in this entire story. <laughs> he seems
2: wise. Yeah,
1: he's very practical. But so,
2: also uh, empathetic and in tune with emotions. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah, he's like, Urza, clean up your mistakes. Come on, buddy.
2: He's like, Urza, take accountability for how you made people feel.
1: Baron's like, like, Urza, life's too short. Clean up your mistakes, and and then Urza's like, dude, have you drank any slow time water? Come like, on, dude, aren't you immortal? Come on. What are we do? What are we talking about here? <laughs> so Karn grabbed the metal cord with one hand, and Urza with the other, and they slowly floated higher as Baron gained altitude. Get that altitude, buddy.
0: Yeah. I just really wonder how this plays out when you have something that is in the time bubble, but also outside of the time bubble, like Baron's moving it upwards, and just how time works. You know? Well,
1: I you know it's it, it it takes I think on the outside it takes a lot longer, on Baron's end and you know, um, it's it's slower but there must be something, to that, shared like physical, thing that they're holding onto like that that metal cord that metal rope
0: yeah
1: that can. Maybe split the difference? Um, (laughs) I really don't know.
2: Yeah, because if if Baron's up there and he's like, okay, it's going to take about five minutes for me to pull you out of this thing... Nurse is like, great. I have to hold on to this cord for like five fucking hours. Yeah, well, Urza yeah, doesn't right? have to hold but on. To, Urza's
1: like done. Karn's holding on to Urza. Yeah, and oh, like, okay. Karn's well, holding on to the cord. Okay, so Karn, Karn, Karn has would to hold say on to that it. he's like,
2: all right. I guess I'll hold on to this cord for five hours. <laughs> yeah, Karn's
1: like, Urza. I'll do anything for you, even he's though, honey. even though you wouldn't, you don't afford me the same deference.
2: He's sweet. He's yeah. like, Papa. I'll do anything. He's like to a save he's you. like a
1: dog. He's like a dog. You could beat the fuck out of him. But wow. he'd still he'd still come and 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 snuggle you at the door when you get home. Yeah, he's like a dog.
2: Don't beat dogs, I'd, guys. I'm not like
1: no dogs. one's well, no, don't beat dogs. That's this that's the position of, of Turn One Sol Ring. Okay,
2: good. Just clarify. Yeah. But that. I'm just
1: saying <laughs> that it, the, No,
2: you're right, you're right. The yeah.
1: perspective is is that of a of that of a good boy.
2: He's a good boy.
1: So they slowly floated higher. As, as Baron gained altitude, the Phyrexians continued to fire arrows and all manner of projectiles at the two men. They bounced off Karn and buried themselves in Urza until he could will them out again. <laughs> just like, just willing them out. Like, um, oh, what was that? Like Wolverine in in, uh, in X2, X-Men United, when he got shot in the head.
0: It's kind of Anyways. funny since, like, Karn's so big, so it's like there's just more arrows hitting Urza now. Yeah, he's just <laughs> hugging on Urza. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. so just before they were pulled through the time rift urza had time to see the shrinking city littered with the remains of his falcon engines he thought he'd only given the phyrexians more metal and more power stones to fight them before they were enveloped by the edge of the rift
2: oh so he's like man i just like gave them a bunch of stuff
1: yeah that's true i don't yeah it's just like dude do better you've been alive for thousands of years you can't do better you're so old. You should be so wise. What's wrong with you? You, you, you suck.
2: <laughs> Aww.
1: He sucks. Come on.
2: Urza. Yeah, he sucks. Well, I mean, all that
1: power, and he just keeps screwing up. Anyways, over the following ten years, the academy, the academy became even more of a fortress. They had troops and artifact creatures designed for combat posted near the edges of the Phyrexian time bubble at all times of the day. They had built a new fleet of Falcon engines, as well as 30 Ornithopters. They had even built a replacement flying machine that matched the one they had lost during their first attack on Krix Phyrexia, the, um, uh, the you know, the blimpy. Machine. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. right.
1: They continued to fortify the Academy's defenses because in the past five years, they had repelled five separate Phyrexian attacks, all told they had killed about 1,000 negators that Crick had bred to survive the trip through the time rift. So Crick can just send them through, and, yeah. uh, it's j- and, and, uh, and time is on Crick's side.
0: Looks like it.
1: So they would have to deal with Crick permanently at some point, but as far as Urza was concerned, their their Phyrexian problem was in good hands because it's at this point in the story that Urza traveled to Joyra's homeland of Shiv to build an arsenal of artifacts that they could use to fight against Yawgmoth himself. So, you know, Urza has that small problem of the pocket Phyrexia on Talaria, but he's got to think about the eventual Phyrexian invasion. Yeah. And that's what he's doing here. So Urza traveled to Shiv to find and use the mana rig to make more power stones and to forge Thran metal to eventually use for the hull of the Weatherlight. And we're throwing a lot of details at you right now, and we'll, expri- we'll explain everything um, in, in the next little bit, so just bear with us. It's pretty interesting that the mana rig can actually make power stones. Yeah, like pretty, it is. Uh, seems to
0: be a pretty powerful uh, machine.
1: Yeah, and if you uh, if you go back and um, if you want to read the novel uh, called The Thran, the uh, that like that's sort of it, it's it's sort of like how Yogmath became the yogmath we know today. Okay, but it goes into like the fall of Thran society, and you know a part of what caused the like. Um, People started getting, like, a, a disease, and Yawg, that's what Yawgmoth tried to cure, and that's how he sort of got the idea to replace parts of people's bodies with artifice, but the disease itself was caused by Power Stone radiation, so people right. were getting sick because their cities and uh, devices and modes of transportation were powered by power stones which is you know what was making their society uh thrive and but you know but it was actually what was also killing Killing them them. so bit of a catch-22 on that one Thran. nice (laughs) nice so, the, uh, the Mana ring was a Thran artifact, much like the Glimmer Moon, which we talked about in our Planeswalker series. Mm-hmm. The Mana Rig had powered their cities, but it had not been functional since the time of the Thran and was now controlled by the Viashino. Oh, hey. Uh, and we still haven't gotten a good uh, legendary Viashino commander, so come on, Wizards of the Coast, give us, uh, give us a good one. The Viachino are a lizardfolk creature that originally descended from the dragons that lost the Elder Dragon War. And their punishment for losing that war was that they would never again be able to fly, which makes a lot of sense because they look like anthropomorphized dragons without wings. And there were a couple of other species in that war. I think like the worms and... I can't remember the other ones, but they had also lost that war. And uh, again, their punishment was that they... Could no longer fly.
2: Because the worms could fly before.
1: <laughs> well, they were all dragons before, and then they became
2: <laughs> oh, man. something else. I would much
0: rather be a lizard than a worm. I think mm. worm is in like W-Y-R-M.
2: Like, oh, yeah. it's not like a worm in the dirt? No. A... no.
1: They're big. They're big. It's like a big... They'll, they'll kill you. It's like a 6-6. It'll get you. <laughs> great way to think about magic creatures in terms of... Um, how big they are or how um like their level of, of danger is like a one one or a zero one would be a a zero one would be like an average human so like a six six you think, a, you think
0: an average human is just a zero one I guess that they're Maybe. average
1: yeah like I think like yeah. a zero like a, a one one or a zero one.
0: That's like a soldier right like
1: yeah a yeah. soldier yeah so you have some like fighting skills like I'm not a soldier I'm yeah. like a zero one.
2: This one worm that I googled. Is this real? This can't be real. Oh, it's a real card. It's 914.
1: <laughs>
2: and it's how many mana?
1: Is that, oh, a... that might not be a real card.
2: It says 30.
0: That doesn't sound like real.
1: For 30 mana, I want more than a 914. Oh, no.
2: It's 10 colorless, 3
1: greens. But it has Convoke. 2 white. What's Convoke? You can tap creatures to pay the mana cost. And for colored mana pips... If you tap creatures that have those colors in their color identity, you can pay that colored mana cost. Uh thorn Worm. That might <laughs> that might be a real card. It oh, is. It seems uh it seems legit. It's a real card. It's for sale. Okay, well, if it's for sale, it must be real. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, the the mana rig was massive enough to have the equivalent of two cities. Built on top of it. The lower levels of the rig were inhabited by goblins who had operated it during the time of the Thran, but that part of the rig was also not used uh, since the uh, Thran Empire fell. Um, And like we said earlier, when Urza arrived at the complex, the Vyashino were in control of it, but they of course didn't know what the relic was capable of. Urza decided to parlay with them instead of simply taking control of the complex, which he could have done with ease and you know he could have taken control of it but he also needed bodies to work it for him
2: and then there's a nice picture that kevin added
1: here it's bravado the card bravado from urza saga it's a Uh, common okay it's the card bravado yeah all the all the all the pictures here are are from cards from cards okay
2: well that's urza a, he looks a, smug and yeah. he's wearing he's, a nice armor. Yeah, he's looking good. He's got his nice beard and he's talking to some guys who look like angry raptor versions of the teenage mutant ninja turtles. <laughs> yeah, they're
1: they're they're Raptor Mutant uh they're teenage mutant raptor boys.
2: They even have like fancy outfits and little bracelets and stuff. Well hmm. they
1: gotta cover their bits, they gotta cover their nips and their and their and their And re- they like style. Yeah, they like they style love to accessorize. Yeah. It's All like right. a tank top that covers your bottom. I'd wear that. It nah, is it's like a baby's
2: onesie. It's the it one a lot like a onesie. Wearing.
1: And it, it covers their tails a little bit too. Yeah, some of them have it covering their tail. <laughs> at least the first guy. Yeah. It's a Luke. So the Vyashino saw the mana as a sacred place that they had never delved too deeply into. And at first, they wouldn't let Urza into the complex. When Urza told them that they couldn't stop him, they agreed. But, <laughs> but it's like, look, look, buddy, we've heard about you. All right. But they claimed that their champion could. Ooh. Their champion was a shivendrake called Rami Darigaz, and he was about the size of a small house. And we're talking like um, we're talking like like a bungle, like 800, 800 square feet. You know, like not 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 that big. It's reasonable. Urza could have easily bested the beast, but he didn't want to reveal too much of his power to the Viashino just yet. So he took a different path. Smart man. Urza demanded the Drake take him to their king, what the Vaishino called a bay, spelled B E Y.
2: That's really funny. They. Their bay. Like, hey, I'm going to take you to meet they. <laughs> <laughs>
1: When the drake didn't comply and attempted to eat Urza, Urza forced the drake's mouth open, almost to the point of breaking its jaw. The beast tried to blow fire at Urza, and when it tried to snap Urza up in its claws once more, he turned the drake to stone, ending the contest between the two.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm going to put an end to that real quick. You got
1: turned to stone. You're like,
0: uh, yeah, no, I want what I want. Let's stop this.
1: <laughs> I'm Urza, bitch. <laughs> Urza once more demanded that the lizard men take him to their leader. Take me to your leader. Take me to your leader. To your leader. Your lizard man leader. <laughs> but they were worried that if Urza could do this to their champion, what would they do to their bay? Oh no,
2: not my bay!
1: <laughs> you <know> my bay. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is ridiculous.
2: I'm picturing oh Beyonce. Not gonna lie. <laughs> just,
1: yeah, just wait until we get to Bloodlines, and oh, you think this is ridiculous. Lord, so Urza unstoned the Drake, and the Vayashino took Urza to their leader so that they could make a deal. Take me to your bay. <laughs> when Urza met the Veeshino bay, it named Fire
2: Eye. <laughs> bay.
1: It's Fire Eye. His name's Fire Eye.
2: Fire Eye. Oh, that's nice. He
1: explained that he needed to use the mana rig to forge Thran metal and Thran power stones to fight the Phyrexian threat on Talaria as well as the coming invasion. Uh, Urza specifically wanted to use Thran metal to build more living artifact men like Karn. From Urza's time travel experiments, he had learned that Thran metal was much stronger than silver, and with the rig, it was far more abundant. Silver's hard to find. He wanted the Power Stones to power an army of artifacts he was building and would build for the coming invasion. The fire agreed to let Urza use the rig on two conditions. First, Urza would have to deal with another Shivan drake that was regularly attacking the Vaishino scouting and caravan parties. This drake was Rami Dargaz's mother, Jerry Darigaz.
2: Oh my god. <laughs>
1: And she, <laughs> and she was a lot bigger. So
2: she was more like an apartment
1: building? Um she was probably like a um like a skyscraper? No, she's not that oh. big. She's she's probably like a she's like a like one a of those duplex? like sixplex houses. Oh, probably okay. like it's probably like 3,000 square feet. Okay. Yeah. She's like <laughs> that big. She's not like she's more than twice as big as him, but not, you know, like crazy big. She's she's Jerry Darigos. Oh man. And Mommy the the second condition, uh, Fire. I wanted the first living artifact man that Urza had built, which like his was
2: firstborn child.
1: That's right. Yeah, which I don't...
2: no, he can't have Karn.
1: And which was Karn, and not the first. I and 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 not the first one that would be built using the rig. That Fire. I wanted Karn. Like, dude. Like, Urza. Why are you spilling the beans that you already have one of these guys? Yeah. Come on. Because he did. It's like, don't. Oh God. Um, you
2: can't give Karn
1: to the stupid lizard people. Well, you know, you wouldn't think so, and. But, but it's, you know, it's at, the, at the end of the day, Karn is his property. He can do with him what he pleases. It's Urza. I know that, <laughs> and and it's Urza, and I and I agree with you that that sentient creatures deserve self determination, but. You know, this well, is the world we're living in.
2: Well, even beyond the self determination, it's like, come on, Urza, Karn loves you. He saves you from your bubbles, and he
1: just he, saved you like he ten years
2: just, ago. Just well,
1: yeah. I, I guess, <laughs> guess yeah. I guess you can
2: say that in their time, right? <laughs> It'd be like saying like last week to him. Um, but you're living he would still risk anything
0: to save him, Karn? Yeah.
2: Fucking Urza, go. A lemon, Urza. So,
1: <laughs> Urza agreed. Um, you of course, know, he did because be- he's a twat. Because the you know the greater good and all that. Sorry, I'm um, upset. <laughs> but for the time being, Urza had to bring Karn to Shiv uh, as a sign of good faith. He also brought Joyra to Fairy and several other students and scholars to help the Viashino run the rig. While Urza was getting the mana rig up and running in Shiv the folks back at the academy were repelling Phyrexian incursions daily, sometimes multiple times a day. Crick was breeding more and more deadly minions. The academy was having to, was starting to have a difficult time keeping up with the demands of defending their island.
2: That's my island. That's my purse. I don't know
1: you. <laughs> <King of laughs> so when Urza showed up to take his chosen few back to Shiv, Baron agreed to continue defending Talaria. But Urza had given him a summoning crystal. Should the tide turn in Phyrexian's favor, Phyrexia's favor, the summoning stone was similar to the ones that Urza had given to Zancha during Planeswalker. You remember those? I mm. Sure do. Just break it, and I'll get you.
2: Like yeah. a little, uh, like a little glow stick.
1: Like a text. Yeah, it's like if you just had like a text. Just get, Come on, dude. You're an, art, you're an <laughs> artificer? You can't make an iPhone? Come on. <laughs> <clears throat> so over the following year and a half, a couple of things happened. The Talarian and Viashino crew had gotten the mana rig running and had begun to produce Thran metal.
2: Mm.
1: Urza and Karn also traveled to Rami Darigaz's mother's nest, uh, Jerry Darigaz. <laughs> <laughs> it's, they're fun to say. At first, <laughs> I was a little nervous about saying these names. but You're
2: nailing it. They're,
1: they're fun. They're fun. So Urza, <laughs> Urza and Karn are at the, at the Drake's Nest to fulfill the first condition of the deal that he made with the Viashino. When Urza confronted Jerry Darigaz and threatened... It's just funny because it's Jerry. <laughs> and threatened to kill her if she didn't stop bothering the Viashino. She told him that she would stop only when her son was returned to her. But her oh. son had willingly left and joined the Viashino. so... I don't know what uh, what she's thinking here. Oh, Miscommunication. Empty
2: nester. She's yeah. sad about it.
1: Yeah. She is. And I would, you know, my advice would maybe be, well, I think my first bit of, bit of advice would be therapy. Yeah. But, you know, um, more of a Band-Aid solution would be to have more children, but then they're going to leave too. You know, they always leave. Yeah. But you know what? If you're a good parent, they come back. Yeah, Urza. Yeah. Urza's, Urza's not a good parent. So the visit ended without a resolution, apart from Urza reiterating that he would kill her if she continued to bother <laughs> the Viachino. So like, like, I want my son back. It's like, well, tough
2: shit. I'm going to kill you. So. <laughs> just, just, you you're
1: going to need to stop, all right? <laughs> so he planeswalked Karn and himself back to the manor rig. Uh, Basically, everything was going according to plan in Shiv, but it was getting harder and harder for Baron and those that remained at the Academy to repel the constant Phyrexian attacks. Now that the rig was producing metal, Urza continued to work on the designs for the weapon he planned to use to fight the coming Phyrexian invasion. He had started the initial plans for the Skyship Weatherlight before he had left for Shiv, and now he completed them with Joyra's help. In case you aren't familiar with the Weatherlight, it was a flying ship that Urza designed and built to plane shift or planes walk, so he would be able to respond to any Phyrexian incursion or attack anywhere on Dominaria at any time. It would be able to carry soldiers, weapons, and would be equipped with weapons itself. It would require an extremely large power stone to power the ship, and it would need to be charged by an extremely large power source to be able to plane shift. They would be able to forge the power stone for the Weatherlight's power source with the mana rig, but Urza told his cohorts that they would need the equivalent of a plane's mana to charge the power stone indefinitely. Holy... As it was, they would be able to charge the power stone for a single plane shift with the mana rig, but after that, they would need uh, to find mana equivalent to an expendable plane to, you know... Power the ship.
2: To suck it dry. Power it up.
1: Do you guys think that's foreshadowing?
2: Maybe.
1: (laughs) Urza originally planned to use Thran Metal for the hull and framework of the ship, but after building the first set of Thran Metal Men... (laughs) He discovered that after the metal was forged and shaped, it continued to expand and grow. Oh. So they're giant metal men. Well, they... Well, the Thran metal men's bodies had a similar design to Karn's, which was a connected series of plates that made up their outer shell so that they could move um, easily. Dexterously. Exactly. Mm -hmm. As the Thran metal continued to expand, it made it impossible... For the Thran men to move, mm. all the connected series of plates would just grow and grow and grow, and they'd just shit. be like be clunky beefy. and yeah, bulky. And he didn't have any. He didn't have any more Newt Heartstones to stick in their heads either.
2: Oh, so they were dum dums.
1: Yeah, and if I was Urza at this point, I would have just gone to Phyrexia, gone to the Fane of Flesh.
2: I was gonna say, wasn't and there just like a tomb,
1: full grab of them? a bunch of Heartstones. <laughs> Who gives a shit? truly and i mean maybe it's that the newt had to be dead so you'd have to track down that newt because like Zoncha was dead but i don't know this is all just theory crafting on my part
2: why don't like i would just like go take the stones pop them in these guys and when the newt dies it's like poof i'm a person
1: maybe or it works while they're still alive and if if like they go insane just rip it out it's a big deal yeah just see what happens yeah. So, anyways, the same thing would happen to the hull of the Weatherlight had Urzi used Thran metal for its construction. So he instead used Thran metal in key places in the skyship's construction and decided that the rest of the design would be wooden. Interesting.
0: Ooh. So, wooden. But it's like this <laughs> Thran
2: metal, like how long does it continue to expand?
1: Uh, in da, it just it, always it just indefinitely.
2: So, so like you fill up your little storage closet with all your bits and bolts of Thrand metal and then you go to open it's the gonna door one day and you you're like, oh You don't even have to wait oh, to open shit. the door. It's going
1: to bust out. It's going to break the door.
2: So where are they, they going to put it? In a bubble. Where are they going to put what? All the metal. The metal
1: that they made. They'll just melt it down again. Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: Sounds like a lot. This Thrand metal sounds fucking high maintenance.
1: Well, yeah, I right. wonder why their empire didn't survive.
2: Because they're a bunch of high maintenance blocks. That's
1: right, right. No you wonder Yogmoth was like, "I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out of here." Oh man. So not just any wood would do for this <laughs> skyship. Wood wood. Haven't we all been there, huh? Not any. You this, gotta this gotta wood get that wood. Won't do. No. <laughs> it's at this point in the story that Urza decided to travel to Yavamea to secure the wooden components for the Weatherlight. Mm. Yavamea was a thickly forested mountainous region of the southern coast of the dominarian continent Teresir. It was the domain of the Moro Sorcerer Multani. The Yavamea yeah. forest grew into a single sapient mind after the Ice Age, which Urza himself caused. And a good way to think of Multani is like the uh, forest spirit from Princess Mononoke, if, mm. if uh, you've seen that movie. The, all the the various parts of the forest communicate with Multani. So if you're in that forest, Multani sees you. He uh, Multani knows all. I hesitate to say he. It's just like Karn. Like we say he, but it's also both these characters are non-gender specific. Yeah. It's just you know what's happened over over time. And you know, back in the 90s, we weren't so uh, highbrow. am I right?
2: <laughs> I don't know if highbrow's the word.
1: What is the word?
2: Uh, enlightened?
1: Yeah, that's sure. perfect. That's, uh, <laughs> it was the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> it was dark times. So, Urza left Joira and Teferi in charge of the rig while he was gone. He planned for this trip to take only a few days, but when he arrived in Yavamea, he encountered the aforementioned Multani, who was none too happy with the planeswalker.
0: Yeah, you're just, like, taking all my wood. What the heck?
1: <laughs> well, I think that was the least of his, uh...
2: All of these funny, like, anthropomorph...
1: Anthropomorphize. <laughs> Thank
2: you. <laughs> Creatures. Like, there's there were those guys earlier. Maybe it's the Phyrexians. If you know. Yeah, but in past episodes, there was the Phyrexians. I'm pretty sure you had a picture of one of those guys. Was it I don't know. But they all have very ripped abdomens. Like, you know, it's like I have a goofy head.
1: Well, I don't think there's a lot of carbs on Dominaria.
2: I guess not. Like, no. they got goofy faces and goofy hands and funny claws oh, he's a tree he's a tree he's a tree man. but he has like an eight pack
1: <laughs> oh, he's got like look at these look at these that go up behind his pecs
2: right those are different muscle like this is like the abs yeah and he's got like rippling pectoral muscles like yeah, he's ripped
1: multani's ripped r- he's a ripped tree
0: it's also just tree parts
1: though <laughs> <laughs> yeah those are just tree parts yeah tr- trees are pretty ripped they're hard you ever punched a tree? And
2: they're always sporting yes. wood.
1: They are. Yeah. <laughs> so Multani knew about Urza's past mistakes, especially destroying Argoth and subsequently causing the Ice Age. So when Urza wanted Multani to ally his forest with Urza and his coalition to fight Phyrexia, the forest spirit instead imprisoned the planeswalker. Huh. Multani didn't imprison Urza's body, though. He imprisoned his mind. Because Urza doesn't really have a physical body.
0: Yeah, he was able to whatever in the time level. Will it. Corporeally form it back.
1: If you will it, it will be. Yeah. Multani (laughs) forced Urza to relive the devastation he and Mishra inflicted on Argoth. That's not really fair. I don't think you need to do, like, both. I mean, punish the person for what they did. You don't need to punish them for what their sibling did, but anyways. Um, this was only happening in Urza's mind, but it was as real as you and me or whoever you are listening right now. Yeah. It's like that. Imagine.
2: Unless this is all just a dream. Or no, what is it? Or a simulation, a simulation. which we can't know.
1: Simulation.
2: Right, a simulation. Yeah,
1: which we can't know.
2: And you know what? If it is a simulation, guys, don't panic about it. Some people feel really uncomfortable with the idea that maybe what we're experiencing right now is just a simulation. But you know what? If it is gives a shit who gives a shit what if it's a simulation you having a good time you like to drink some stuff you like to consume some stuff you like to buy things you got some people that you like you
1: like cold pills sure do it up whatever (laughs) makes you
2: happy do it up right don't worry about it just feel good in our little simulation
1: yeah if that's what it is don't worry about it. Don't worry about what you can't prove or what you can't know. Just just enjoy it. Just play magic. Just, Don't worry about just it. Just
2: enjoy the ride. YOLO. Yeah. Don't worry about the blue so,
1: and red pill. No. That's right, Eric. Don't do it. So, like we said, this trip was only supposed to take a few days, but Multani kept Urza prisoner for almost five years. That oh, is boy. very
2: different from the plan.
1: Yeah. That's, <laughs> come on, dude. Uh, it's only a little bit different. <laughs> how, and how much of that five years was Mishra's sentence? That's you know, so
2: stupid. You know, punish,
1: punishing one brother for the other's sins.
2: I always hate that. I always hate that trope in, like, in TV shows or whatever. Like, if, you know, if one of the siblings was bad or something. Or, like, or like a teacher who's like, oh, I hated your sibling, so I'm going to hate you without even knowing you. It's like,
1: what? It's a tale as old as time.
2: Now I want to watch Beauty and the Beast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> in that time, the Phyrexian threat on Talaria had become almost insurmountable. Baron, his students and scholars could not keep up with the new and improved negators that Crick attacked with multiple times a day. Even the summoning crystal that Urza had given Baron had not worked to free Urza from his prison. So he, he cracked it. Oh yeah. And Urza did not come. All Baron could do now was wait. It was only a matter of time until Crick conquered X ex- uh Talaria. For X, ex- <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Phyrexomaria>. <laughs> at one point during this time the Frexians had discovered a deep spring out of their time rift that led into the academy's well system one night negators sprung out of every well in the academy baron and his forces were able to fight off the attack with only a few casualties but the worst death toll followed this attack the dead bodies of the Phyrexians poisoned the Academy water supply. and who oh. drank from the school water supplies in the days after the attack developed a flesh-eating disease that turned their muscles to bloody mush and made bone as brittle as crackers. Ooh,
2: that's yeah. uh,
1: visceral. 23 students and scholars died before the source of the contagion was discovered. So things aren't looking too good for Talaria at this point.
0: Yikes. Talaria ain't doing well.
1: As for the events happening in Shiv, Joyer had spent the past few years maintaining the rig and its output of power stones and Thran metal. She also stalled the Vyashino from taking Karn into their possession. She told them that because Urza hadn't built a working Thran metal man, the terms of their deal had not been met. So she's looking out for Karn.
2: Yeah, she is, because they're BFFs. Yeah.
1: The Vyashino's champion, the Shivendrake uh, Rami Dargaz, had decided he wanted to return to his mother. So they, so they <laughs> wow. put him in a cage... And he went from being their champion to a chain trader.
2: I want my mama. Jerry's not coming for you, buddy.
1: Jerry Darigaz had also heard of Urza's long absence and had resumed her attacks on the Viashino. Not an ideal situation in Shiva either, but unlike Talaria, they weren't fighting for their lives constantly. Sounds tedious. Just as Baron and his cohorts were making their last stand against against a Phyrexian assault, Baron heard the unmistakable sound of of Phyrexian screams in the distance. Urza caused those screams with his lightning-shooting hands. He's back. Mm. He's back, baby. Nice. Like any entertaining story, Urza had arrived in the nick of time to turn the tide of battle. Multani had... Seeing that um, this Urza was a different man than the Urza that had destroyed Argoth, this Urza only wanted to save Dominaria from Phyrexia, even if he didn't want to save Karn, Uh, but we'll get to that. But um, not at any cost. That's the important part of Urza's character growth here.
2: Okay, so now he cares a little bit.
1: A little. Yeah. Great. Uh, he fervently wanted to save Dominaria, <laughs> but he also wanted to preserve the plane and its inhabitants in the process. And in that fervent need to save his plane and his friends that cried out to him from Talaria, Urza broke free of Multani's grasp. Because even though Multani had seen that Urza had changed, he didn't think Urza deserved to be set free. He's a little petty. Multani's a little petty. Well... I, mean, I can be a little petty. Sure. Yeah. That's how like, I get it.
0: What's going to happen to everyone else if Urza isn't freed? Like, come on.
1: <laughs> come on tree man let him go yeah. but that didn't that didn't matter because Urza was breaking free no matter what the tree man did in one last attempt to keep Urza anchored to the forest Multani poured himself into Urza's being but it didn't stop Urza from reforming his corporeal body and planeswalking directly to Shiv with the forest spirit as a passenger fun <laughs> mm-hmm. he's
2: like alright let's take you with me yeah it's
1: like Cortana and Master Chief <laughs> When Urza arrived in Shiv, he told Joira and Teferi to gather their best fighters. He had returned shortly to planeswalk them to fight on Talaria. Then just as quickly as he had arrived in Shiv, he arrived on Talaria. When Urza arrived on Talaria, he was able to stave off the main attack on the academy and find Baron. He told Baron that he was bringing reinforcements. Once that task was done, Urza was going to kill Crick. Urza planeswalked back to Shiv and quickly swept up the group that Joira had assembled into a two-dimensional planeswalking enchantment that protected creatures without a spark. So he didn't have to turn them to stone and they were totally safe. Everybody wins. The group included Teferi, Karn, uh, a bunch of Iashino, a bunch of goblins, a a platoon of Thran metal men, and the Shiv and Drake, uh, Rami Darga. <laughs> oh, a uh, even with this ragtag group of reinforcements, Urza knew that they would not be enough and as soon as he transported them to the academy, he walked back to Shiv to the nest of Rami Darigaz's mother, Jerry Darigaz. <laughs> 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 Urza explained that her son was fighting for uh, humans, via Shino and goblins and that she should join them to fight with them. He explained that if she did, her son would return to him. To to her, excuse me. That was my that was my Papa energy taking over. <laughs> yeah. And just like that, the Shivan Drake agreed. Urza used the same enchantment on Jerry Darius, and he'd used on the Shivan reinforcements, and they were on Talaria in a split second, just like that. When they arrived at the academy, Jerry Darigaz spread her wings and let fire rain down on the Phyrexians that had breached the academy walls. Instead of joining the Drake in battle, Urza planeswalked to a much quieter part of the island, just outside of Crick's fast time bubble. Oh, he's going to be all sneaky. He's just going in. Go this on. time he's not falling in. He's going in. He's out. going in. Urza passed through the surface of the time bubble, reformed himself on the other side, and headed for the breeding labs. Once he had destroyed those facilities, he would hunt down Crick and finish this. I mean, you know, hindsight's always 20-20, but maybe just start with that. Yeah, right. You know, the, like, the first time. You don't have to build a big flying machine and drop bombs. Just get just get in there. Just uh, get get after it. Get in there and get those breeding labs.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, from Urza's decades of observation, he knew where the labs were located, and with a thought, he planeswalked to their location. When he located the first set of vats filled with decanting phyrexians, he let loose a blast of blue lightning into them. The lightning ignited the oil-filled vats, and the creatures inside cooked to death. Yum. I wonder what it smelled like. (laughs) The labs filled with thick black smoke as Urza continued to ignite vat after vat. Just as Urza was wrapping up the first part of his plan, he heard the sound of one of his falcon engines through the screams of burning Phyrexians. He turned to look toward the sound and was impaled by the flying artifact. Oh. And it's rough when your own weapon gets turned against you. Crick had modified the falcon engine and pointed it at Urza. So instead of going after glistening oil, it now went after Urza. He must have had, like, a bit of his clothes or something to, like, get the scent. I don't know. I don't call right. But... As Urza was lying on the ground, almost incapacitated by the artifact that was chewing up his internal organs, Crick moved out of the black smoke that filled the breeding lab. Crick explained to Urza that he had another larger breeding lab below this one, meaning that the damage Urza had caused was little more than an annoyance. Crick told Urza that he had learned from their last encounter, the mistake that Crick made, when he last had Urza as a prisoner was that he gave Urza even a second to recuperate after being eviscerated by the Phyrexian monsters in the arena. Crick thought that if he could use a falcon engine to continuously rip up Urza's insides, he wouldn't be able to use any of his powers and Crick would be able to kill him. Of course, that was, wasn't was the mistake that Crick made. The mistake that Crick made was not killing Urza as soon as he had the chance, and he'd made the same mistake on this occasion. <laughs> Anyways, this time around, Urza had an, an ace up his sleeve. This time, Urza had the forest spirit of Yafamea inhabiting his body. Multani gave Urza the strength for a single planeswalk, and he suggested a place that would shield Urza from Crick's reprogrammed falcon engines. With a thought, Urza planeswalked to the space that Crick's body inhabited, and the Phyrexian that had plagued Teleria for decades exploded in a rain of blood, black flesh, and glistening oil, most of which covered Urza. Wow. Yeah, so he just planeswalked to where Crick was and... Boom, Crick dead. Exploded. Nice. (laughs) And with Urza covered in glistening oil, the falcon engines um, had no interest in him. Cool. Yeah. So Urza asked Multani if this meant that they were now allies, and Multani replied,
2: "'You have known the agony of Argoth. We have known the agony of Phyrexia. If these are the creatures you fight, we are allies.'
1: best friends.
2: BFFs!
1: Anyways, Urza then found the route to the lower level breeding labs and destroyed them all before leaving the Phyrexian time rift for the last time. Uh, and the joint forces defending the academy were also victorious, but Urza still needed to secure the wooden components, don't forget about those, for the <laughs> weatherlight. So he traveled back to Yavamea <laughs> with Multani to do so. <laughs> Once there, Multani provided Urza with the weather seed, which was the seed of the oldest Magnagoth tree and the heart of the Yavamea Forest. Urza transported the seed back to Telaria and planted it. Once it grew, it would use the wood for the hull um he would use the wood for the hull of the Weatherlight, which is where the name of the sky ship came from. Cool. Weather weatherlight, weather seed. Yeah. With the final stages of the weatherlight under construction, Urza needed to travel back to Sarah's realm to clean up one last mess from his path. Because remember, Baron's always telling him to clean up your messes. Yeah. He's finally doing it. Do it. Do
0: it.
2: Clean up your mess, (laughs) Urza.
1: (laughs) So just as we said during our Planeswalker series, Sarah's realm had been infiltrated by Phyrexians after Urza and Zantra traveled there millennia earlier. Uh, Once Sarah left the plane for parts unknown and the Phyrexian black mana essence infected the plane, it had started to deteriorate. In the years since Urza's inaugural visit, the plane had only continued to deteriorate, and now it was on the brink of collapse. So Urza did what any man on the road of redemption would do. He planned to travel to Sarah's realm, ferry as many inhabitants to Dominaria as he could before the plane collapsed. It's a good guy move. Urza made the trip during this time period alone. When he arrived on Sarah's realm, it looked similar to when he saw it last, but there was the unmistakable scent of glistening oil in the air.
2: Man, that glistening oil.
1: It's unmistakable. It didn't take long for Urza to uh, Urza's arrival to be noticed. He was intercepted by a couple of angels and taken to the Arch- Archangel Radiant, Sarah's former second-in-command and now the leader of the realm after Sarah's departure. Wow. Oh, she okay. looks good. So Radiant, uh, was none too happy to see Urza blaming him for the Phyrexian presence on her plane. Radiant, uh, wasn't too upset with Urza though, because she, uh, let him tag along on one of her Purification Army's missions. The Purification Army was a tool for weeding out and killing Phyrexians. So, um, like, uh, like sleepers, uh, Phyrexians that looked like... Uh, Sarens, but were Phyrexians. Um, the angels that made up this army used something called a soul torch, a device that would glow yellow in the presence of Phyrexian. Mm-hmm. While in the aforementioned mission, Urza saw that Radiant and her army killed both Phyrexians and Sarens. Wow. When Urza confronted Radiant about this fact, the angel to- told Urza that the Sarens they killed were dissidents and not loyal to the realm. That's crazy talk. Yeah, a you could,
0: bit. they could still be loyal to the realm later.
1: Uh, so, Urza offered to take as many Sarens to Dominaria as wanted to go, and if there were any Phyrexian sleepers among them, Urza would deal with them on Dominaria.
2: <laughs> I'll deal with you later.
1: It's a good deal. It's a <laughs> good deal. Radiant wasn't having any of this, and she labeled Urza a Phyrexian and an enemy of the realm. What a okay. It's like,
2: I don't like this. You're, You're a, a bad Phyrexian. guy. Yeah. You're
1: an enemy of the realm.
0: You're a Phyrexian.
2: She seems a little cuckoo bananas.
1: She's a, she's a little touched. A little bit. Bef- before Radiant could order her purification army to seize Urza, he planeswalked the hell out of there. <laughs> you know, just like like seize him. Oh, gotta go.
0: <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Peace and out. I guess like at least Urza tried, right?
1: He did. He did try. He, he, he offered. Yep. So it's not completely Radiant's fault, because her war minister, uh, Gorig, uh, was actually a Phyrexian sleeper that planted the idea for the purification army into her head, and the soul soul torches that the army used to identify Phyrexians also absorbed the white mana of the Sarens that they killed. Hmm. So it was just a Phyrexian plot all along.
2: Oh no. Isn't that always the way? Poor Radiant.
1: Yeah. Gorig was converting that white mana into black mana and keeping it in a central mana battery somewhere in Sarah's Sanctum. Once a critical amount of white mana had been absorbed from the plane and its inhabitants, the plane would finally collapse. Wow. And like we said earlier, this collapse was going to happen no matter what. Uh, this series of events just accelerated the process. Right, because Sarah, Sarah's plane was not real. Or she yeah, it, created it. it was. Yeah, she created it just like um, just like Phyrexia was created, um, and uh, it was like a pure white mana plane. So the the introduction of black mana started its deterioration, and also Sarah leaving accelerated it in the first yeah. place. Cool. So, anyways, Urza continued to make uh, repeated covert visits to Sarah's realm and used those visits to evacuate hundreds of Saren refugees. By this point, the construction of the Weatherlight had been completed. Urza named Karn the Master of Engines. And Karn could actually, like, um, you know, like in uh, Pacific Rim, how they could, uh, what was that called? Drifting. They could, like, drift and pilot the big robot. Well, Karn could, like, connect with the Weatherlight's power source and pilot the ship from there, and, like, pilot it better than a- any other pilot because he's, like, one with the ship.
2: That's cool.
1: Um, and Joira was made the captain of the vessel.
2: Oh. <laughs> yeah. And, uh... So he wasn't taken by the Lizard Man because Joyra said, well, he hasn't made a Metal Man yet.
1: Yeah, like, eventually... Uh, eventually, they're, like... Like, after the... I, I forgot to mention that. After the, the fight on Talaria, they're, like, look... You know, Karn fought with you. You know, he worked on the rig for all these years. Like, can't you see him as, like, a, like a sentient individual? Mm-hmm. You can't take him as your property. And, and the V.S. are like, you know what? You know what, Bay? You're right.
2: <laughs> you know what, fire eyes?
1: <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so, yeah. Karn's, well, Karn's free. Well, he still belongs to Urza, but he certainly doesn't belong to the Lizardman. Yeah. Karn free. Garden Liberated. Aww. Hey. <laughs> uh, Urza Planeswalk, the Weatherlight, filled with uh, artifact creatures, the Thran Metal Men that we talked about previously. Uh, its crew, and the two Shivan Drakes with Baron and Urza as their mounts. Urza riding the mother, Jerry, and Baron riding the son. <laughs> Just sounds wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Urza planned to use Gorig's white mana battery to charge the weatherlight's power stone and fill the weatherlight with the remaining Saren refugees and plane shift back to Dominaria. Oh. When they arrived on Sarah's plane, the plane was very close to collapsing and they were immediately attacked by Saren angels led by the war minister Gorig. Um, while Urza left his forces to um, search for uh, to search Sarah's Sanctum for the mana battery. While searching the Sanctum, all Urza found was Radiant, who challenged him to single combat. Probably a bad idea.
0: <laughs>
1: Urza quickly realized two things. First, uh, each a- angel that was killed only hastened the collapse of the plane, so each loss of white mana only increased the collapse of the plane. And second, uh, Gorig himself was the mana battery that oh. Urza was looking for. Mm. I'm the battery. I'm <laughs> the prize. That's right. That's, that's interesting. During the fight, Radiant killed the Shivan Drake, Jerry Darigas.
0: Oh, boy. No,
1: oh. she's done. <laughs> oh. but the, but
0: fa- <laughs> Mama, mother, no! <laughs> mother and son just got reunited.
1: I know, they were about to be reunited. Oh. Guess what? You're done. <laughs> At least Karn's good, right?
0: Yeah, he's good. Yeah, Karn's still there.
1: And um, Radiant was able to gain the upper hand on Urza by ripping the Power Stone eyes from his head, which is what Gix tried to do in the last book. I think he was trying to rip those stones out of his head. What the heck? As a result of this, Urza's physical form disappeared because he needs those Power Stones.
0: Yeah.
1: Radiant then tried to join the stones back together, causing an explosion which killed her and destroyed the Sanctum and reconstituted Urza's physical form, with the power stone eyes separately as his eyes what the heck okay
2: radiant you fucked up
1: you fucked up hard
2: Mm, but like where does
0: where does urza appear because the plane got destroyed
1: no, no, the plane's fine. It's just the sanctum is destroyed.
0: Oh, the sanctum. Okay, yeah, just okay. the palace. We're yeah, so
1: we're good. We're still good.
0: Gotcha.
1: <laughs> during so so during the the battle like around the weatherlight, Baron was able to trick the war minister into impaling himself on the tip of the weatherlight's bow, which is kind of a sick way to die. Um, and I don't exactly know seafaring terms, but it's the part of the ship that like points off the front. It's pointy. It's pointy. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, the impaling of Gorig inadvertently charged the Weatherlight's Power Stone, so the hard part was over. Nice. You just got to put the plug in the battery. That's all. It just all worked out. Yep. Urza arrived shortly thereafter, and they all got the hell out of there. All right. Uh, With the Weatherlight's Power Stone charged and the ship filled with as many refugees as it could carry, Urza, Baron, Joyra, and Karn, plane shifted back to Dominaria just before Sarah's Realm. winked out of existence
0: i kind of like thinking of that like whole um situation just like urza pops back and it's like oh yeah impaled this guy on the ship and uh it works now
1: (laughs) all right let's get the (laughs) hell out of here and like they and like when they got there they unloaded all the the thran metal men, and they 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 replaced the their their space with um refugees refugees so, once back on Talaria, they settled the Saren refugees into Teferi's homeland, Zalfir, and Joyra and Karn continue to command the Weatherlight, while Urza and Baron continue to train students for the coming Phyrexian invasion. And that's where the story ends, and we'll pick this series back up in a few weeks with the events depicted in the novel Bloodlines. So, we're
2: going to find out what happens with Crick and they're going to have a fight again and stuff.
1: No, Crick's dead. Crick's dead. Oh, right. he died. He exploded. He, I'm he sorry.
2: Yeah, that's right. He <laughs> blew up
1: already. Yeah, it's all good. Okay. It's all good. It, no, it happened it's, fast.
2: It's the other guy. It's the big, big Phyrexian guy
1: Yoggmoth. Yoggmoth.
2: Daddy Yoggmoth. Daddy that's right. Big
1: Daddy Yoggmoth. Daddy Yogg. So, thank you all for listening and Ainsley. Thank you for joining us in this series. We look forward to Bloodlines when you're. And you're back on the show. I'm
2: excited about it. Heck
1: yeah. um, if you and if you enjoy this type of content and want to cover, I want us to cover a particular part of magic lore. You can find us at Turn One Soaring the Podcast on Instagram and YouTube, and you can email us at Turn One Soaring at gmail.com. Comment, or you can on Instagram you can slide into the DMS and let us know what you want us to cover. Also, comment and review us or rate and review us wherever you listen to this. That that does help a lot. You can find me on Instagram at Command Beacon if you want to get in touch with me directly. And you can find Ainsley on Instagram at... Ainsley Amethyst. Like yeah.
2: the stone. Like a heart stone. That's what mine would look like if I had one. It would be an amethyst.
1: It's like a, It's like a biological heart. That's how the stone looks.
2: They would be purple.
1: Oh, okay, close enough. <laughs> Thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week with uh I don't know, something. We'll have an episode. I I don't exactly know what we're doing. Riley will probably be hanging out. Riley's gonna be back. Mm. Yeah, everybody. Get excited. Hi, it's gonna be Riley time.
2: That's right. You say hi.
1: Um <laughs> all right. Well, everybody, we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening. Uh bye now. See ya. Bye guys. did anybody ever have um like a science teacher who said like the blood blood inside the body was blue and like deoxygenated blood was blue and oxygenated blood was red yeah I i had a science teacher like that and i had to be like no you're you're just wrong it's all red It's it's like once the blood touches the oxygen, it turns red. Like once you start bleeding, that's when the blood turns red. It's like, no. No, no. (laughs) Anyways...